Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our new website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello Trojan fans and welcome to episode number 84 of the Peristyle Podcast. Today is September 23rd, 2009 and we got a lot to talk about this week on the podcast. Obviously the upset loss up in Seattle, we'll get over all of that. We're going to talk to uh, USCFootball.com Brian Fisher this week. He was uh, filling in for Dan Wykey doing some practice reports so we'll get an update from what's been going on on campus. We're going to talk to Gerard Martinez, got some recruiting questions for from you and i will answer those and of course in our first segment we love to talk to the coach harvey hyde what's going on coach coach how you doing i'm calling you coach now <laughs> nice we are we are 84 and 0 when you uh, are able to talk about a game afterwards before the game we never get to, you know isn't it wonderful that's why I gave up coaching and went into uh, radio broadcast we've got never fall <laughs> now before the people used to be Why'd you do that, Coach? Why'd you make that call, Coach? And now people ask me, Coach, what do you think? So we're 84-0. That's not bad, is it? I like that record. That's that's pretty good stuff. Uh, I get questions. We love getting your questions. We're going to answer some of those with the coach today. If you have them, send them into podcast at uscfootball.com. And, of course, we wanted to thank our sponsor. If you need tickets for anything, this is the place to go, sctickets.com. It's Southern California tickets. SC tickets. Why would you go anyplace else? SCTickets.com if you're a USC fan. 1-800-888-7287. Coach uses them. I've used them. Really like them. And uh, Coach, you don't need any tickets for this weekend's game, do you? I don't need any tickets this weekend, but if you do, call him and say, Coach Harvey Hyde said to call. And uh, I know they'll take care of you. I really do know they'll take care of you. They're good people there at Southern California Ticket Service. They're located in Pasadena. It's and, uh, you know, they deliver. You can go and pick them up. Uh, and they got them for everything. So it's tremendous. Now, Coach, I tried. I called them and said uh, Coach Hyde sent me. And they yeah. doubled the price. So I, maybe you want to just say they heard it on the Parastel podcast. I'm just kidding, of course. They, no, no, you didn't have to say that. How am I going to make a living? I mean, now you now, now you told all our listeners that if you call, they're going to double the price. And it's going to be a kickback to me. We're just... Doggone you, Ryan. We're just kidding, of course. Uh, but uh, we are. Yeah. Uh, well, Coach, uh, it wasn't a uh, a happy game. We got some questions and stuff. There's obviously some concerns out there in the Trojan Nation. Maybe get some of your your quick thoughts on uh, what happened over that debacle in Seattle. Well, I think it was a very disappointing game uh, to everyone, uh, to the Trojan fans, to the players. USC players to uh, the announcers to uh, the coaches, of course, and so on. And it was something that, you know, you try to prepare for and you tell the kids and you tell yourself as coaches and so on that these things can happen any Saturday and every Saturday there is a wild game that happens. Uh, You know, I look at that game and I say, which one was worse? The Washington loss, the UCLA loss, the Stanford loss, the – which one was the other one? Oregon State lost. They're all bad. You can't say one is worse than the other, but they all might cost you a national championship. Three of the four before this one 
cost the national championship, or at least a shot to play for the national championship game. And you always hear me say, you know, SC won a game in Ohio State, but I'd rather have seen them lose that game and be Washington because this was a conference game. This was a game, now you start conference 0-1. You know, a lot of people maybe would have given him the benefit of the doubt if they went back to Ohio State and lost that game in a close game back there. Everybody would have said, oh, the atmosphere, the this, the that, all the reasons why you shouldn't win. It was a grudge game. But, you know, they went back there and they won. They didn't score a lot of points, which they have at the last two weeks. Came back, but you still are 1-1 in your last two games but you're 0-1 in conference. So, you know, that always means that you're paddling up stream now. You can't lose another game. If you want to go to the Rose Bowl, you got to hope someone beats Washington. Otherwise, you don't go to the Rose Bowl. You might go to another BCS Bowl game if you go 11-1. But, uh, you know, that, that's, a, that's a, a bad thing to happen. And, you know, there's no excuse for it. Pete Carroll said that he puts it all on his shoulders, which he's the guy that is the head coach. Uh, the, the, you know, you, you can't turn around uh, in one year what Steve Sarkeesian has done. Congratulations to him and his staff. Now, don't get me wrong. But what was it last year? 55, 56, nothing. Without Locker in the Coliseum. And this year, the Trojans lose at Washington. You know, and, and that's a, that, that, this game hurts them more than the loss. It hurts them in recruiting. It hurts them in pride. It hurts them in you know, donations and in all the areas like we just talked about, too, as far as standings and bowl games, national championships, all of that, too. So that game really cost a lot to the Trojan football program. To have one of your ex-coaches go up there and in less than a year be able to put the program together to beat you, uh, that, that's difficult to take. And in the style of which you lost. I mean, defensively, the Trojans have played at a at a pace that they should be three and zero. They've given up what 31, 32 points in three games. Normally, the Trojans score 30 points or more per game. So you know you look at the defense and you say, "Hey, the defense under Rocky Seto has done a great, great job." Because it could have been a lot worse in some of these situations. The special teams. Uh, I, I, it's hard for me to comment on a Division One football team such as USC be caught without a punter, be caught without a kickoff guy that can kick the ball into the end zone most of the time, cannot cover a kickoff where they don't get the ball almost every time on the 35-yard line, cannot return a punt more than five yards, cannot return a kickoff more than up to maybe, I think the farthest is the 27-yard line. Uh, uh, it just, it just, it's just amazing uh, that that can happen. It just is. And I know they practice on it, and I know that Brian Snyder is a great special teams coach, but there's been some mistakes made in recruiting. Uh, you've assumed you have a punter and you don't. And I think that Mitch Mustaine should be given his opportunity. Because I did that, I got caught in the same situation at UNLV, Randall Cunningham was there with me at that time. I asked the whole team. Now, I asked the whole team. I would have searched the whole campus. I would have put a bulletin <laughs> out on campus saying, do we have any high school players that have punted high school football in high school? And, and I'd have had a tryout. But I didn't have to do that, okay? 
really, to think about averaging 36 yards, 37 yards a punt, I mean, really, I mean, you won't accept that in high school. And, 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 and I asked Randall Cunningham to come out and try to punt because he's a great athlete, and he punted. And he became our punter at UNLV. And guess what? He was first-team All-American as the punter that year. Really? <laughs> Kodak All-American, first-team. That's awesome. So it is. So, you know, you've got to do what you've got to do, and I think Pete Carroll understands this. You can only go so many weeks and then say, you know, when you play Cal and you play some of these other guys and you're putting the ball 36 yards, you're fighting uphill all game because you got you don't have any field position. I mean, the team is getting the ball every series on a 40-45 or even in your territory. So that's got to be corrected. And then the offensive side, I mean, uh, a real disaster as far as turnovers. Yeah, you always talk about turnovers. I mean, turnovers are going to happen. They're correctable. They don't happen on purpose. People don't drop the ball. People are taught to strip the ball now. Every time you tackle, you're stripping the football or going after the football. Yes, it shouldn't happen, but it does happen. But other parts of the offense, time management at the end of the half, when we run out of time and you can't get a field goal off, you should go in zone routes, two in zone routes in a row, go for the touchdown. Now, this is me. I'm just, this is my opinion. Yes, I am second guessing, but this is my opinion. And I think most football fans know this. You, you go for the end zone. If you, touch, if you score a touchdown, it's over. If it's an incomplete pass, the, stop, the clock stops. But to run the football, and take that chance with no timeouts to make a first down and, and then get stopped and not have your field goal team almost on the field, ready to go, to run onto the field. I mean, right then and line up, they just missed it by a second or two. You know, I hate to say this, there's no excuse for that. And, and was that, this is big-time college football. This isn't someone learning how to coach. This is someone who's supposed to do that when you uh, coach on this level. Offense, it'll be two. I'm very concerned with the pass routes and the combination of rhythm of what offense SC's trying to run. I, I, I'm not quite sure uh, about, you know, one receiver routes with three guys all over them trying to force the pass in there, not running cross routes. The people playing man. People aren't afraid of the deep route at all against USC, and they're having pressure and support immediately on the run. You've got to go deep occasionally. You've got to do some crossing routes, deep post routes, corner routes. You've got to keep those corners guessing. And if you don't have the speed at receivers, then put Williams back where he was over at Z. Bring in Patterson. Bring in Carswell. Bring in some guys that run fast and play them. Because all they're doing now is blocking out there and running short routes or run stop and goes or do something where the secondary has to play a little bit looser and you know, run some bootlegs and so on. And don't let them take away your best play in the first game of the year. And in Ohio State, the bootleg was their best play. And what Holt did was eyeball the quarterback with the offside back end. And when the quarterback went away from him, he eyeballed him, wasn't going to flow down the line of scrimmage and watch for the cutback, but looked for him to come out. And if he came out with the bootleg, he was going to smack him. And that's the way they defense him. Rather than bring somebody across in motion, a Y back or a Z back or somebody, and block him, and then come out and throw to your your X or your tight end or something. But don't let him take it away or run inside of him or trap him out or have a counter. 
The toss, no toss. Why? Because everybody's on the line of scrimmage. You can't run outside when everybody's on the line of scrimmage. So you complete the series and you try to run a belly up the middle, off the toss, or you run reverse, or you run toss pass, or you do you run the fake the toss and hit the slant back to X. I mean, you got to be able to keep those people guessing. And this is my opinion, but I think that they've got to make some changes in that in order to correct the offense. It's not the, all the kids. Yes, it's the kids as far as when you throw a ball. When you can't hit an open receiver like McCoy, then that's the kid. Because the ball, he, McCoy's wide open, he just laid in. He might still be running. Who knows? <laughs> the, the fumbles, that's the kid. But he didn't fumble on purpose. But time management, play calling, some of those other, other things. And Co- Coach Carroll has taken that responsibility. But can they correct it in a week? I certainly hope they can. Otherwise, uh, they're lucky they have Washington State this week. But they have a chance to, to come home, straighten it up. But a week from now, if it's not straightened up straighten out when they go to Cal, wow. I'm going to tell you what, Cal has been waiting for this, okay? And I think Aaron Corp, too, looks at his receiver. And I think Steve Sarkeesian watched and coached Aaron Corp, knew Aaron Corp were very well and hold and knew exactly how he looks at his receiver and doesn't look off. And I think they use that a lot in their secondary play in the, the game against USC. And who had the advantage in coaching that game? Of course, the University of Washington, because the Washington coaches knew every single player on USC, their speed, their strengths, their weaknesses, how to attack them, this and that. So they did a good job of doing that and they won the football game. That's somewhat a summary, and I know I went very long, and I apologize, <laughs> but why not do it in one question? I, li- I like it, Coach. We don't have to ask you any more on that. But the, to me, this is inexcusable. The team was 0-12 last year. There's no way a team with USC's talent should even be close. I mean, it's almost like they had to try to screw up. And just, you know, from the from the beginning of the week when they were not naming Corp the starter, even though – Barkley couldn't lift his arm above his head. You know, I mean, there, there just seemed to be so many things and not putting Mustaine in there. And there, there's so many things that went wrong. It just seems like the, the coaches were really stubborn about stuff. And, you're, you know, it's hard to blame kids that were screwing up. But, you know, there was a lot of positions, I think, bad positions that coaches put people in. Uh, but, you know, it was funny. I don't know if you see Dennis Dodd wrote a, a story on this. Um, Dennis Dodd from CBS Sportsline. Not a lot of USC fans like him. Sometimes he's kind of critical of USC. But uh, he had a really good line in one of his stories that, that uh, Steve Sarkeesian did what Charlie Weiss wasn't able to, you know, right away, what Charlie Weiss wasn't able to do in five years, beat USC with Tyrone Willingham's players. And I thought that was really funny because this is, I mean, you know, Sarkeesian has Tyrone Willingham's players and, and he, you know, he obviously got them playing a lot better than they were last year. And he did what Charlie Weiss couldn't. He actually beat USC. No, you're exactly right. But remember when uh, Sarkeesian went to Washington, one of his comments were he was very surprised at how much better the players were than they thought than he thought they were. So he had some pretty good players up there, and hey, just don't take anything away from this Jake Locker kid. Uh, I want you to tell you, tell you, I want to tell you, he's a superstar. He's the number one draft choice in the NFL right now today. He's a leader. Uh, he's he can throw better, I think, than Tebow. He runs equally as well. Uh, he's not ex- experienced like Tebow is. But I'll tell you, this kid, I'll tell you, he, when the ball's in his hands, he is a dangerous person. And uh, let's give him some credit of what he did in that game and the way they utilized him 
in uh, attacking USC's defense. Uh, they really did. But, again, let's give USC's defense some credit. In the position they were put in, field position again for the second straight week, they bent, but really they didn't break. I think they've only given up, what, two touchdowns in two weeks? Is that correct, Ryan? Yeah, I mean, it's it's pretty amazing. I think. I mean, really? 31 points? Doesn't SC normally score that much in each game? What was their, <laughs> what's their average? I mean, I wrote Their a, average has been always 31 points. Yeah, I mean, I wrote a column that all USC would need to do all year to win every game in the regular season is score 20 points. They They went 63 straight games. That ended a couple years ago when they lost to UCLA 13-9. 63 straight games scoring at least 20 points. It was a you know, clear NCAA record by far. And now, you know, two weeks in a row, not being able to score 20 points, knowing that if you – one touchdown, one field goal, you know, per half, you win every game. And to not be able to do that is pretty much inexcusable. And if the, anyone that was blaming the defense, I just don't agree because they played definitely well enough to win. And – there was that third and 15 that they gave up. But I, I would agree, you know, I, maybe you would think about this, Coach. I didn't like the fact that Pete Carroll called the timeout before that third and 15. I'd rather see the other offense, you know, the Washington offense come out there and try to run a play in a hurry as opposed to calling a defensive timeout and giving the, those guys time to set up a play. I agree with that, too. I agree with that, too. So, uh, yeah, the time management on that was, was not – what it should be, and, and uh, I know that he, when they go back and they look at that film and, and look at it, I know they're embarrassed uh, as far as, and I don't think Coach Carroll is, and, you know, how can you criticize a guy that's won, what, 90 football games? And like I'm saying, this is just an opinion because the best players in America, are, or a lot of them are at, at USC, and normally if you line my player up against your player and you do things that you can do, and you coach the team the way it's supposed to be coached, you normally win. And uh, they they just didn't improve from the Ohio State game. They did not improve offensively. In fact, I think they declined offensively from the Ohio State game because they just didn't utilize their players, and I didn't see them develop their offense into what their offense should be. And uh, I'll tell you, it's not that they don't have players. I don't want to hear that, okay? Right. Otherwise, you know, so they got players. And then when they say they don't have team speed or whoever, no one said that. But I hear people reading it or writing it or talking about it. That's wrong, too. So uh, you've got to, if you don't have team speed, you can still win uh, as far as with your receivers, which are run routes that are capable or, or flood areas and run curls and run crossing routes. and You do different types of patterns where you can uh, attack the defense. So, you know, there's just that, that's what I have to say, and, and it's hard to say that. I want you to know, Ryan, it's hard to say things about USC like that, but that was a game they should not have lost, and it may cost them another national championship, and who knows, may cost them a trip to the Rose Bowl. Yeah, all right, Coach. And let's get to a couple questions. Um, this is from a retired coach of 44 years, uh, Willie. Um, this was about the defense too, and I, I've seen similar stuff to this. But he basically wanted to know he felt that USC plays really well on first and second down, and then on third down he th- he thought they kind of softened up a little bit. He wanted to make he wanted to know why uh, you don't think they they don't just um, lock up man to man outside and then and blitz people, put a lot of pressure on the quarterback, try to make things happen. He wants to see more of an aggressive attack on those third and long plays, and uh, he feels that USC kind of plays a little too passive. What do you think? Well, you know, uh, I agree with him. Uh, you know, they have the best athletes in America playing in the secondary, and if you have the number one secondary in America the way everybody thinks they do, 
the number one mar- uh, uh, secondary in America should be able to lock up and play straight man and shut your guys down in most situations, especially if you're putting pressure on the quarterback. And I think they play real soft, soft zone. They keep the receivers in front of them. And uh, what they're allowing the receiver to do is catch the ball and then make the tackle. They really are. And uh, that, that becomes uh, nerve-wracking with me, too, because uh, I think that if you've got great players, then lock up on them and go after them, man. Put the pressure on them or at least mix it up more. Don't do the same thing all the time. And uh, But that's a philosophy of Coach Pete Carroll. If you've noticed throughout the years with his great defense, even the defense he had last year, you saw him play zone a lot. But then when they had great success and their defense started to play better in years past, they played more man. And you've got to be able to teach man defense, to play man defense. You've got to build up confidence in your corners that no one can beat me. And it's a challenge out there. And uh, I agree. Uh, I really think that uh, you're pretty soft when it's uh, third and 15 or second and 10 or whatever it is. Hey, lock up on them and mix it up. Show a blitz or go after them. And if they hit it, they're fine. But, you know, in most situations, if your defense back, defensive backs are the best in the country, you're going to lock up and you're going to knock the ball down, you know, and, uh, and not have that completion. And then uh, he has a follow-up question, Coach, for the – on the offensive side of the ball. And we kind of mentioned this a little bit earlier, but you know, he was curious about the, the receiver rotation. Why aren't guys like Trayvon Patterson and, and Brandon Carswell um, out there? I mean, you, you recruit so much talent at wide receiver. It seems to be, I mean, it seemed to me too, like the, you know, they just haven't utilized all that many people. I mean, having Ronald Johnson go down should not make the entire offense become stagnant. You know, I mean, Trayvon Patterson's fast. I mean, Damian Williams is a pretty fast guy. It's not like he's super slow. They just kind of use him in a different role. And, you know, if you felt Corp couldn't get the ball down the field, I mean, I've seen Mitch Mustaine throw the ball a ton. I've seen even Garrett Green can throw the ball down the field. I mean, they had people on the team that were capable of doing things. Why do you think they weren't using some of those other guys? I really don't know. I don't understand that because I, I was able to watch a – freshman player from the University of Washington, Johnson, number three, who just came to, into Washington uh, this semester, catch out on how many balls he caught. You could look it up at uh, beat USC on a lot of receptions. And at SC, they've got the top receivers. They probably didn't recruit Jimmy. I think it's Jimmy Johnson, whatever his name was, number three. Yeah, I USC, to forget those names. Yeah, USC huh? did, didn't recruit him. Yeah, that was... <laughs> they, they didn't recruit him. And the kid goes in there and places a freshman. Yet, Yet at SC, you've got Devon Flor- Flornoy, Flor- what's his name, Flornoy? Flornoy, yeah. Pete Carroll, yeah, actually. Yeah, you know, here's a kid, that the freshman, that, you know, they, he hadn't developed or learned the offense. I mean, what are you talking about? <laughs> that offense? I mean, I mean uh, you know, how much is there to learn? And, and Trevon, uh, Trevon Patterson, I think he ran on the state championship relay team at Long Beach Poly High School. So I know he's got speed. And, and and when I watch Carswell, he he looks like he's got speed and Bryce Butler and and so on. Uh, you know, you don't recruit. I don't think slow receivers. You got to be able to have a threat deep. And they've lost Johnson. It's almost like they say, well, we lost Johnson, so we we don't have anybody else to throw the ball deep to. Well, find someone. Go recruiting, or make a call on campus and ask, <laughs> is there anybody? Or go over to Ron Alice's office. Say, Ron, who do you have on your team that can run a fly pattern or a deep route for us, like Bob Hayes that, you know, went and played for Dallas at one time, or 
you know, remember that kid that went to Cal, uh, Jackson? I mean, Deshaun golly, Jackson. I haven't seen SC with a guy like Jackson. I'll be honest with you. Deshaun, what's your name? Deshaun Jackson? Deshaun Jackson, yeah. He actually committed Whoa, to Holy cow. Yeah. I mean, that kid has burst. Yeah. I mean, punt returns, kickoff returns. He went right into the NFL. I mean, that's what you call a, a receiver. And, and I, not that SC doesn't have him, but I'd like to see him utilize one. If they have one like that, I want to see him on the field. Yeah. <laughs> well, we haven't seen it yet, Coach. We'll have to, we'll have to wait and see. I, I definitely don't agree with all the personnel stuff that's going on. I mean, you see teams sticking true freshmen that just arrive on campus and, and excel. And uh, I, it, it seems to me, I mean, there seems to be some kind of, I don't know if the coaches are just being stubborn or they're, just, they, they're kind of setting their ways or they have a certain view of certain players that, you know, we see them in practice and they seem to be fine. But then for whatever reason in the games, they're not, you know, people have talked about one uh, um, of my, oh, Alan Bradford. I'm skipping out his name. Alan Bradford, same kind of thing. People, you know, there's, there's certain players that we watch in practice every day. They seem to perform well, but it doesn't equivalent, you know, it doesn't equal game time. It doesn't equal playing time in the games. And it, it's hard to, to understand. And we get a lot of questions, uh, you know, on the message boards and stuff. So I just wanted to kind of get your thoughts because that, it's hard. It's hard for us to picture why these guys aren't going on. But there's a lot of times we don't get to see them. There's meetings, and uh, you know they know a lot more what's going on behind the scenes. We can only see practice. But from what we see at practice, it seems like some of these other guys should probably be playing. Well, I don't know who should be playing. I tell you, if these guys aren't burners at receivers, then you made mistakes in recruiting because you're not going to bring in a slow wide receiver. <laughs> okay. No, it makes sense. I don't think you are, okay? Not when you have your choices uh, of all the top receivers in the country, okay? And right now they've got commits on two of the top receivers in the country. So uh, Pryor and what's the other kid's name? Harris or Ollie down here? Oh, what's his uh, name? The kid Robert, that committed. Robert Woods. Yeah, Robert, Robert Woods. Woods. I mean, yeah. now there's two of the top recruits in the country, one ranked two, one ranked eight in the country, in the top 100, and they're receivers. So, you know, and these others are top recruits as far as receivers. So. That's, I, I don't know. We'll see what happens this week. Uh, you uh, should be a, a coming out party, because I'm anxious. You're going to watch exactly, you know, what happens here. I, I don't. I don't care what the score is of the game, but I want to see how the offense develops as far as its rhythm and pattern and what they're doing offensively. I want to try to figure that out. Okay. No, I, I agree with the coach. We'll be watching the same thing. And uh, but one, thank you for all your insights. I know. There's a lot to get off your chest, but hopefully, hopefully it helps. It's kind of therapeutic for me to speak about it, Coach. Hopefully it's the same for you. Well, you know, it's very difficult to uh, talk like this. But, you know, you ask me a question, and I think it's my duty to give you my opinion. Not sugarcoat anything. Just tell you the way it is. And obviously there's some people that don't like me to give my opinion in this manner, but it, it's something that I think that's my honest opinion. And, uh, and that's what I'm going to do. All right. Well, Coach, thanks again, and thanks to uh, setickets.com. We'll talk to you next week. Thank you very much, buddy. All right, everyone else, back in 30 seconds, we're going to talk with Brian Fisher talking some more USC football. Meet us on the other side of the break for more of the Peristyle Podcast. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287. 1-800-888-7287. That's 1-800-888-7287. Or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. 
SC Tickets, Concerts, Sports, and Theater. We now return to the Peristyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham. Welcome back to the Peristyle Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Abraham, and we have a special guest in this segment. Uh, Brian Fisher is joining us. He helps out with the site on uscfootball.com. He's been doing uh, practice reports and stuff this week. What's going on, Brian? Oh, not bad. Just uh, trying to hang in there, follow the team. It's uh, certainly taking a turn for the uh, interesting, I guess, this week. A turn for the interesting. I guess that's a good way to uh, to put it. It's been a little different. But I want to uh, thank our sponsor before we get going in the segment, um, nationaltailgate.com. Uh, check it out. Uh, if you go there, nationaltailgate.com, you need any tailgating supplies, all kinds of stuff that you can just put in the code podcast and you'll get uh, 10% off. So let them know that you're checking it out and uh, check them out at nationaltailgate.com. And Brian, I also want to let people know, Thursday night, um, National Sports Grill. Tomorrow night, uh, this is Wednesday. Tomorrow night is Thursday, September 24th, and Brian's going to be there. We're going to have a, a USAFootball.com dinner. We did one a couple months ago. It was a big success. We filled up the whole back room and gave away a lot of prizes and had a bunch of speakers and stuff. Uh, Anthony Davis will be joining us, the uh, Notre Dame killer. He's the only, actually the only USC star to get a national championship in two sports. He won in baseball and football. He was number two in the Heisman Trophy uh, race in 1974 they actually changed the way they made the voting because they didn't they voted before the entire season was over if they waited for the season end he probably would have won the Heisman that year back in 74 and he scored 11 touchdowns against Notre Dame we'll also have Shane Foley who was a quarterback in the late 80s for USC so he was going to talk about the quarterbacks and stuff so we've got some interesting guests and it'll be a, a lot of fun Brian you had a good time last at the last dinner right it's an absolutely uh, great time to come out there and meet everybody and uh, talk about the team. And uh, anytime you get to uh, talk to AD, it's always a, a treat. He was uh, such a good player for USC, and uh, it'll be nice hearing him and uh, fully come out. Yeah, it'll be it'll be a lot of fun. It's uh, 7:30 National Sports Grill in Torrance. Um, it's on Sepulveda Boulevard. Uh, 7:30 p.m. It's a uh, dinner, twenty dollars to get in. Uh, you get all you can eat and, uh, you know, we can meet with all the different people from uscfootball.com, Emily, Michelle, myself, uh, I think Gerard will be down there. Dan Wykey will be down there you can, uh, talk to all of them. So it'd be a lot of fun. Check it out. Um, well, Brian, I guess let's get to some football stuff. We talked to coach Harvey Hyde in the last segment and there was a lot going on, obviously with the Washington game, try to look ahead a little bit. We got some questions we'll get to, but you know, Pete Carroll was at the press conference. You were down there. What what was kind of mood in the uh, the press room there when Pete Carroll was talking about the upcoming game with Washington State? You know, I think it was pretty much exactly like it was last year after the Oregon State press conference, uh, maybe minus T.J. Simers uh, from the L.A. Times being there. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it, it kind of was the same old story from uh, Pete during the press conference. And uh, I, I think the one line he had uh, where he kind of opened up and he said, uh, you know, the guy's – you know, it's not a shock to them. Um, that that kind of threw me off a little bit, and it kind of goes back to what I've been thinking uh, the last couple of weeks. Is this this team is it's got a different mood around the uh, program than it has in certain years, and, and I don't think that's necessarily from the players. I think uh, as it's as much from Pete uh, than anything. You know, with the way he's dealt with quarterbacks, uh, the way the team has been playing. Uh, you know, even you know, the week of the Ohio State game, making players off limits to the media on the Friday before the uh, or the Thursday, the uh, before the game, 
it's uh, it's kind of just a different mood, and I think it kind of came out during the press conference that uh, you know maybe this is uh, a rebuilding year and uh, not a reloading year. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, it, it, USC never seemed to have to rebuild, but this year they just seem to be really reluctant to use some of the athletes they have out there, where they feel that maybe they don't. Maybe it, maybe it's an internal thing. They just don't feel they have the same kind of talent they've had in years past, and they don't want to take some of the risks that they've done before because they don't feel they have the athletes to pull it off. Yeah, you know, I think for, for so long USC has relied on uh, we're going to do our own thing, and we have superior athletes so that we can uh, we don't have to game plan necessarily as much as we should. We, we're just going to concentrate on what we have to do, and that's going to win us ball games. And you know what? It's a strategy that that's worked. You know, two national titles uh, played for a third, but you got to think back to those years. That that talented uh, supporting cast was probably uh, as good as, if not better, than uh, you know the Nebraskas or the Miamis that they had. And uh, I think Pete is slowly realizing that I need to do a better job coaching. Uh, I, I think the assistants. Uh, are, are realizing that as well. And, and I think you'll see, uh, especially maybe not so much this week against Washington State, but going forward against, you know, Cal, Oregon, uh, you know, the really tough games that they'll face in the Pac-10 and, and Notre Dame, that they're going to do a lot more game planning. They're going to do a lot more, uh, you know, read and react uh, type situations instead of just relying on their talent. Because as we've seen this year, you know, injuries play a big part uh, of things, and uh, it, it certainly cost them a game up in Washington. I agree with you. Um, all right, well, let's get to a couple questions. Uh, yesterday was the quarterback day uh, for the media, which is something new. They usually don't restrict when people can talk, but right now uh, only the, court, the quarterbacks can only talk on Tuesday. So there was a couple of people that sent in questions on quarterbacks. Uh, Walter in West L.A., basically wanted to know where's Mitch Mustaine why is he not getting any kind of a chance and he actually sent in a picture of me filming I think a, a spring scrimmage or something so thank you for that Walter I was I have me like <laughs> holding a camera on the sidelines and then uh, Mitchell had a question about he felt that Aaron Corp was flustered the entire game um, how did get how did Mustaine fall so far behind that Carroll didn't even consider him a viable option and he even mentioned maybe putting in someone like Garrett Green. But you know, I, I think the, the the Mitch Mustaine thing has me baffled the most. Maybe we can kind of get your thoughts on that where he's a guy – I mean, he's a guy that you know pretty well, and uh, it's he seems like he does well in practice, but for whatever reason, he's not getting the nod when it comes to playing time. Yeah, you know, I, I think, uh, you know, I was sitting in the writer's room uh, last night and with all the other writers and just kind of going over, you know, Mitch Mustaine, when we were talking to him, going over his quotes, and, you know, we couldn't help but laugh and see how absurd it is that, you know, he's never really gotten a fair shake. And, you know, this was the number one quarterback coming out of high school, and he put up uh, good numbers for an Arkansas team. He went 8-0 as a starter uh, against SEC defenses, and it, and it seems like he's never had a, a fair shot at, at really going after the quarterback uh position and, and I'm not sure if it's uh, necessarily his performance in practice because he, he doesn't seem to you know really look uh, you know wow people during practices like say Matt Barkley might but uh, I kind of wonder if it might just be a you know once he gets into the game he might turn it on uh, and, and hit that extra gear a lot of guys are like that uh, you'll find and 
you know, it, it does seem like he's never gotten a fair shake from Pete Carroll, and uh, he's certainly got a few looks. It's just, you know, maybe things don't go his way. Uh, I think they certainly call a different game uh, for when he is out there. But you know what? He's looked sharp at times, and, and uh, I, I just I don't I don't know why Pete didn't uh, maybe try to make a change uh, during that fourth quarter in Washington. If nothing else, to inject some life. You know, when you uh, when you don't pass for the fewest number of yards uh, in the history of your coaching tenure at USC, you know you you got to make a change as a head coach and. Uh, he certainly proves that he can win games. I'm not. I'm not quite sure why uh, the coaches are so down on Mitch Mustaine. I think it's a mystery that's baffled just about everybody. No, and, I, um, yeah. I certainly. I'll go I ahead. I certainly yeah. think that uh, he, he deserves his chance. No, I agree with you, and it's uh, it's it's interesting. He doesn't. Pete Carroll doesn't seem to. I mean, obviously, he does so much right, and we we, we kind of nitpick on stuff. But one of the things he doesn't seem to enjoy doing is switching quarterbacks, and and, and for all intents and purposes. Barkley was hurt. He couldn't lift his arm above his head. So I don't know why he was even warming up. Uh, Aaron Corp was still injured as, as far as like, I mean, he broke his leg a few weeks ago. He wasn't getting the kind of power that you would expect from someone, you know, cause you have to throw a lot of it comes from your lower body. It, it just seems like with two <laughs> injured people in front of him and a former like high school player of the year, it, w- it would seem like it was such a remote option. And that's what I think baffles so many people. Yeah, I mean, you look at what uh, Pete has done with injured quarterbacks in the past. Uh, you know, John David Booty, a perfect example during the Stanford game. Obviously, he didn't pull him, thought he was able to go. He, Booty throws four interceptions. Um, and, and, you know, the next week, Mark Sanchez will start uh, and looks pretty pretty decent those next three games that he starts. You know, I blew out Notre Dame. Uh, so you, you could have thought, hey, maybe he should have gone with Sanchez much earlier. I think it was a similar case uh, against Washington. You know, you know, it's like I said, you just change it up at, at least. You know, uh, Steve Sarkeesian, you know, might not know what the game plan would have been if Mitch Mustaine had been in there. So uh, it would have forced Washington to make adjustments uh, defensively as well. Uh, and, and that's something that Pete should have kept in mind uh, because obviously it wasn't working. 110 yards passing and uh, – uh, not able to get things going. You, you just got to maybe change it up. And I think Bench Mustaine can make uh, make all the throws on the field. Uh, he, he's uh, more mobile than I think people uh, think. And uh, I think he's just as good, if not better, than uh, uh, John David Booty could be. All right. Uh, Mitchell also had another question. A couple people sent this in as well. And uh, we got to listen in to what C.J. Cable had to say. I think that was – I think it was Monday's practice when, when we heard – uh, CJ yeah. talk, but he was wondering where was CJ on kickoffs? Um, you, you know, he was, I think last year he was leading the NCAA or at some point for kickoffs or something like that. I mean, he was doing really well on kickoff returns. Where was he? And, you know, the official thing that came out was that he was sick. He had the flu, but it seemed like a different story when we talked to CJ and he was a little baffled as well. A kid that when, you know, he fumbled last year, he saw the bench, you know, and he was like in the doghouse. And now he's seeing tailbacks ahead of him now fumble and, and come in and get the very next carry. So it just seems like there's a different standard or something going on there. What did you think about all the stuff that CJ said? Well, you know, the thing that, that struck me about talking with CJ uh, yesterday, on Monday was, uh, you know, normally USC players are, are very well trained by sports information staff and, and by the coaches, you know, about talking with the media. And I thought C.J. might have made the strongest comments that uh, really anybody 
has made, uh, since I've been covering the team a lot, kind of criticizing the coaching staff. Uh, you know, he's, he came out and flatly said, uh, you know, I was a little sick, but I was good to go. Uh, I could have played for sure if, if uh, I had been given the chance. And then he said, you know, he kind of thought he would have done well. Uh, he told the coaches he was, you know, good to go, and they said he just didn't look right. And, uh, and that's what kind of, you know, made me scratch my head is, uh, you know, he said, uh, I looked, you know, I guess how I looked has determined my playing time. And, <laughs> you know, I, I'd never, never really heard of a player say, you know, oh, I didn't look good, so I didn't play. You know, it, was, it was just a, an odd uh, sitting there and, and listening to CJ talk and, and how he kind of said, yes, there's a double standard uh, for some of the running backs. And, and I, I think he directly uh, kind of, you know, pointed the finger at how Joe McKnight has fumbled but still remained in games versus when CJ has fumbled, he has been uh, pulled from games, uh, you know, numerous examples of that. And, and uh, you know, to me, CJ Gable's a good back. He got, he was kind of curious yesterday in practice how, uh, you know, he got a lot of reps. You know, I, I kind of wonder if maybe the coaches had uh, kind of read some things and are trying to appease him because he got a, a, a lot of reps yesterday in practice and, you know, the whole thing just struck me as, you know, another dramatic, unusual moment uh, uh, in the season of USC this year uh, because, you know, he said, I, sh- I could have gone, I should have gone, I would have played fine, and, and the coaches just held me out because I didn't look good. It, w- it was just uh, a really awkward e- exchange. And, uh, you know, CJ had a big smile on when he was saying all those uh, things, but uh, you kind of sensed a little bit of anger from him that uh, he wasn't able to play and help his team out. Yeah, Gable was a kid that started as a true freshman. I think he was the first true freshman tailback to start an opener. And uh, and it, I think he started uh, 12 games last year. Yeah. He, you know, he hasn't really gotten a, a fair shake at all this year. Right. I mean, he's a kid that, you know, even though if McKnight would come in and play or Johnson would come in and play, Gable was kind of the starting guy. And for whatever reason, he's dropped down there. And, I, you know, it's hard. You can sympathize with him because – I think maybe they had a little too quick of a hook for him when he did fumble once or twice, you know, in, in, in different games, you know, during his career. And maybe it's just they've changed their, their ways and they want to de- be more positive. But it, even a guy like Havili, I think he got the next carry after he fumbled. And it's a, that's a kid, you know, it's a fullback who doesn't get the ball all that much. It's not like a tailback you're going to keep getting out there and running him and running him. I mean, obviously, they ran Havili a little bit more against Washington than they have normally, but you have to, it's hard to not have sympathy for the kid. He seems like a nice guy and, and, and you're, you know, it, it does make you scratch your head. Like, hmm, why isn't he getting his turns and why is he not going in there? If the guys in front of him are fumbling. Yeah. I think, I think he's one of those guys where, you know, he kind of has as a running back, he was used to being the man uh, in high school and he came here and he's having shared all these carries. I think he's a guy who, who needs to kind of get a few series to get going um, and he's never really had that opportunity, uh, you know, except for a few games when he, he has shined. Uh, you know, he's been very inconsistent. He has fumbled the ball, but uh, it, it shouldn't be enough for him to be held out. And, uh, you know, you mentioned Havili running the ball. Uh, you know, I think the coaches came out and said uh, it was something they wanted to do with Havili in the backfield, and Joe kind of uh, split out a little bit. But, you know, Alan Bradford wasn't used very well that game. Uh, you know, you, you had other running backs that uh, could have came in and, and added a dimension uh, that I, I think that uh, USC was lacking. And you know what? Even if he was a little bit sick, uh, you've got to figure going into that game, Washington, a team that 
uh, had a 10-game losing streak in the Pac-10, you kind of thought that, okay, you know, they're not, uh, the talent is not quite there yet, but they have a good coaching staff. Maybe we can play CJ for a few series to just see how he looks, if nothing else, to see how a player uh, plays when he's sick. And uh, it, it was just an unusual situation. And I think uh, CJ kind of came out and, and he finally got angry for uh, the first time and, and kind of showed, showed his uh, anger uh, to the media. All right. Well, let, we've talked a lot about the past. Let's look ahead to the future real quick. Just uh, quick thoughts on Washington State. Uh, I mean, you got to hear Coach Wolf speak at the press conference and stuff. I mean, they had a rough year last year as well, just like Washington did. I mean, do, you, do USC fans have to worry about this game, or do you think they're going to bounce back? Oh, I, I mean, I, I think the uh, 69-0 win last year is probably the benchmark for this USC team. I think they can easily achieve that just because Washington State, the talent is just not there. You know, uh, they lose their fastest wide receiver uh, who wants to uh, play track, and Anderson, I, I think his name is, uh, you know, they lose their starting running back who had a great game against SMU. Uh, they do have some athletes uh, here and there, but they're just the talent level. Uh, is, is just not there to be a competitive Pac-10 team. Uh, and, and, you know, I, I think uh, uh, Wolf said it best when he, you know, he says when you turn the ball over and uh, you have some injuries, uh, uh, you, you lose games, and he knows that. And uh, he certainly does because they just uh, – Washington State is a team that uh, they turn the ball over. Uh, they've demonstrated that last year. They demonstrated it uh, the first couple of games. Uh, that's how they got in the big hole. Uh, you know, they, they have some athleticism on defense. Uh, but, uh, again, the, the home run threats, the playmakers, uh, Washington State just doesn't have it. And I don't it, – it's going to be a, a tough game for USC in the fact that uh, the competition is, is just not going to be there. You know, they're going to face a, a lot tougher competition facing the scout team uh, in, in practice this week than they will against Washington State just because uh, you look at uh, – how are you going to bounce back from a loss? Well, this is not necessarily a team that you want to bounce back against because it is going to be um, a much easier road uh, to victory than it would be, you know, say, uh, against a Cal or an Oregon. You kind of want to uh, have a tough test when you come back so that you know what your team is about and what you have to correct. And, um, you know, this, this could be a, a pretty big blowout for USC, but – Maybe that's what they need to get the offense going is uh, an easier opponent so that they can move the ball around. Uh, and, you know, for a defense uh, that's uh, missing Taylor Mays and uh, Malcolm Smith, uh, you know, it, it's, it's a more of a, a game that they can uh, – USC can focus on themselves and try to fix the things that are wrong because, uh, obviously, Washington State just uh, – the talent's not there. And, and they're several years away from being competitive, and I think – you know, last week's win against SMU, uh, it, it might have saved them from be, having a winless season just because, uh, you know, as good as Washington uh, is now, you've you got to think that they're easily the 10th uh, the best team in the Pac-10. Wow. All right. Well, Brian, thanks very much for your insights and stuff. And uh, uh, Brian's been helping us out. He did a lot of quarterback stuff early on and has been uh, going to all the practices and everything. So we glad we got to uh, hear from you. Thanks for uh, sharing all your thoughts with us. No problem, and I uh, look forward to uh, meeting everybody uh, at the dinner tomorrow. Yeah, Thursday night, National Sports Grill, 730, Torrance, uh, Sepulveda Boulevard. Come check it out. Anthony Davis. Brian will be there answering your questions. I'll be emceeing the whole thing, so it'll be a lot of fun. Everyone else, though, we're going to have a quick break, 30 seconds. We're going to come back, 
talk some recruiting with Gerard Martinez. So stay tuned. The Peristyle Podcast will be back after this short break. Hey, it's Ryan Abraham, and I wanted to let you college football fans know about NationalTailgate.com, the premier one-stop shop for tailgating supplies. With over 600 products available, the guys at National Tailgate are committed to helping you build the most talked-about tailgate on campus. Don't stress about planning. At NationalTailgate.com, they make it easy. From grills to generators to games, our friends at NationalTailgate.com got it covered. As an added bonus, they're offering 10% off to Peristel podcast listeners. Just enter the code PODCAST during checkout. Once again, it's www.nationaltailgate.com where tailgating is their business. We now return to the Parastyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham. Welcome back to the Parastyle Podcast. We're going to talk some recruiting with uscfootball.com recruiting analyst Gerard Martinez. How are you doing today, Gerard? I'm doing okay. How about yourself? Pretty good, pretty good. Can't complain. Uh, obviously, we want to get to some of the recruiting stuff. We got a bunch of questions. Um, first up, you know, if you saw the Washington game and all the USC fans are trying to forget that, there was a guy, the running back for Washington, Chris Polk, out of uh, Redlands East Valley High School, was one of those guys that was committed to USC and decommitted kind of at the last second, similar to what you know people thought of Vontez Perfect and even Manti Teo to a certain extent. Um, just kind of get your thoughts on him, what was going on through the recruiting process, and uh, you know maybe what was the reason that he decommitted at the last minute there. Uh, I think the main reason was just his mother. Um, it was a strange recruiting process. He committed really early on, uh, I think, you know, late February, early March uh, to USC, and was a December graduate and was committed all the way up until probably October, uh, November-ish. And... Um, I think it was one of those things where, you know, his mom was kind of running his recruitment and kind of uh, felt like she had his best interest in mind and playing time was the big issue. And to be honest with you, uh, and to be perfectly blunt, I think there was also a, a real – they wanted Chris to play for a black head coach. I think there was something to that as well, talking to the mother. Um, you know, they they had a, a black coaching staff there at Washington at that time with Tyrone Willingham, and she seemed to be very comfortable with that. And there were some things mentioned uh, when I talked to her um, that seemed to be that seemed to be very you know a positive for them. And obviously, you know, that worked out well. I mean, as far as you know, going there and going to Washington, I mean, that kind of shows you you know in terms of what you're looking at. You know, there are probably bigger things in the school that you should be looking at um, than you know specific coaching staffs and things like that. But um, it was kind of a weird process, and and they were a bit bipolar uh, throughout the process. Chris is a quiet kid and, and um, you know, didn't like to talk and was a little bit introverted, I think, uh, as time went on and he started getting more and more attention. And like I said, his mom kind of took the reins of things and uh, she decided that, um, you know, she wanted him to be able to play early and felt like USC wasn't going to be able uh, to fulfill that opportunity. So that's kind of how it shook out and it was uh, – Unfortunate. I mean, I think that, uh, you know, Chris, obviously some of the comments that he's made at Washington um, has some ill feelings towards USC. Uh, I don't know why, because he's the one who decommitted from USC. USC didn't <laughs> pull his scholarship offer. Uh, but, uh, you know, it is what it is. I guess, uh, you know, whatever it takes to motivate you. All right. Uh, that was from David, by the way. There's a question from Kevin with the, uh, you know, the Washington debacle there, that loss, do you think it's going to affect uh, USC recruiting all that much? Do you think anyone would decommit because of that? Or uh, how would it affect USC recruiting overall? Well, none of the players that are committed had decommitted. 
because of that at, at right now. Um, you know, is that a, a a reason later down the line someone decommits? Uh, you kind of have to wait and see. Uh, is it plausible? Yeah, I think it's plausible. I think that, you know, if you're a guy like maybe Kyle Pratter, who's a receiver, and you're looking at USC and, and the pass offense is just not been that great this year. And obviously there's a lot of promise in Matt Barkley, but Matt Barkley's not playing, and you're looking at what the, the, the backup quarterbacks are doing. Um, you know, maybe in comparison to what uh, Oklahoma's doing, uh, you know, with their backup quarterback, they've, you know, been a little more successful. Against, obviously, competition has been not, you know, quite quite as high there uh, since Bradford has went out. Um, but, but, you know, these are kids, and sometimes they, you know, they look at those things and they're not necessarily – uh, completely rational and, and logical with everything. So you just look at stats and you just look at results. And uh, Oklahoma is one school he's looking at. Uh, Predators also looking at Illinois. Um, Illinois is not having a great season. But you know what? At the end of the day, to be perfectly honest with you, the kids that are really serious about their decisions, they're just not looking at you know whether USC has won this game or won that game. I mean, the overall success and tradition and prestige of the program definitely carries a lot more weight than one single loss or one single win. Um, it can help a little bit in the immediate. It can help uh, in the short term. But in the long term, I mean, there's a lot more factors. Like I was saying with Chris Polk, I mean, he liked Washington, and, and his mom definitely liked Washington because of the coaching staff and the makeup of the coaching staff. Um, there are bigger things, I think, to, to take into account. You know, whether you know it's a city that you, you live in that you feel like you can be in for four years, uh, the coaching staff, but, you know, the players and the chemistry and the, the stability of the program. There's a lot of different things, and I think for Prater, it definitely came down to stability. Um, I think there was a big deal with uh, just his opportunity to be able to play in the NFL and USC being a great form for that. So I think there's bigger factors for him in this decision than, you know, does USC, uh, you know, win you know, 11 games this year? Do they go undefeated this year? Uh, or do they have, you know, two, three losses? I, I don't think that necessarily is going to impact his decision or anybody else's decision, um, you know, long term. All right. And then uh want to get an update on uh, Chris Martin. Do you think USC has a real chance with him? A real chance uh, depends on what you define as a real chance as opposed to a chance. Um, they have a chance at him. They have a shot at him. Uh, he probably third on his list. I think at this point he's still committed to Notre Dame. Uh, he hasn't backed off of that commitment. Um, says he still loves Notre Dame, still talks about Notre Dame as being his team. Um, but Florida has definitely come in there. Uh, I, I think he took his official visit to Florida last weekend. And, um, you know, he's talked about Florida and the depth chart at Florida being very advantageous for him at defensive end. So I, I think really that might be the second school uh, for him right now and, and may end up being the first school for him uh, for a while. I mean, I think USC is going to be in there. They're going to be able to battle. I think he's definitely intrigued and has been intrigued with USC throughout the process. Uh, he's actually pretty comfortable with the coaching staff and, and comfortable with USC. Um, we talked about a lot of things in, in our two-part article that went up last week, and you know I definitely encourage everybody to read that to get a lot of backstory into why he committed to Notre Dame, when he committed to Notre Dame, some of the thought process that he had when he went through that uh, commitment because it kind of adds, I think, a lot to maybe what he's looking for here in the future and how maybe serious he is in decommitting from Notre Dame. I think that there's uh, definitely a possibility he could decommit from Notre Dame. But like I said, right now he's still committed. Uh, he has backed off that commitment. I would put USC probably third uh, in the race for him at this particular moment. 
And just so people don't know, he's a five-star kid out of Colorado, right? Like 6'4", 240 He's a, he's a six, yeah, 6'5", uh, he's about 240, 245. Um, he was originally from Oakland, uh, went to Bishop O'Dowd High School in Oakland, and played there for three years, and was supposed to transfer actually to the Hunt School, which is in New Jersey. And a lot of people felt like if he went to the Hunt School, then he would be locked up for Notre Dame. Uh, being on the East Coast, and it's kind of a school that – has a lot of ties to Notre Dame, and obviously Charlie Weiss being from New Jersey, there just seemed to be kind of a you know lock and key situation with that. But he never made it to the Hunt School, and is actually now at Grandview High School, which is in Aurora, Colorado. So he's still kind of in the West, and, and still talks about coming back to the West Coast, and he's looking at Cal, he's looking at different situations, and um, you know, so he, he's he's kind of gone through a lot here in the past year or so, and uh, and moved around a little bit. But being originally from California, I mean, he's definitely got some feelings of uh coming back home and and doesn't you know doesn't he he wishes you know i think to some extent that uh he could still be in oakland and, and home with his friends and and speaks about it positively so usc fans should probably root for a lot of snow in colorado which that normally happens anyway um make him want to uh come back to the west coast a little bit well want to see also what um any big-name recruits that would be visiting this weekend? It's not a big game, Washington State, but anyone you know of that will be on uh, official or unofficial visits? Well, the biggest name coming in this weekend uh, will be Sheree Floyd, 6'3", 310-pound uh, defensive tackle from Philadelphia. And Sharif actually just was at Florida last weekend. Uh, really like Florida. Heard a lot of things that, you know, Florida's maybe going to be the team to beat for him here. Um, but I think with Sharif, talking with people it might be the last team he sees as a team to beat and at the end of the day i think what sticks out to me uh having talked to him at the army all-american combine um way back in january one of the early things he said one of the factors he talked about with recruiting was staying close to home and that was something that was said a time and time again and it's kind of changed more recently here at the end of the summer as he's taken official visits. And so you always kind of wonder about that. That's always in the back of your mind. You don't necessarily forget, you know, this is a kid that really in the beginning of the process felt like staying close to home was going to be very important for him. Uh, but he is a big city kid, and he comes from the city, and, you know, obviously Gainesville's not the city. Uh, so Los Angeles might be intriguing for him, and, and you know, maybe the opportunity uh, with USC and, and you know, the, the big pro potential and all that kind of stuff that goes on. Uh, you know, he's, he's probably going to look at it and, and – to say he's not serious is tough to say right now. It's you know hard to gauge you know where a kids at, especially when he's been pretty much under the radar, not talking a lot to media. Uh, but he's kind of the big guy coming in. There was some talk that George Uko, um, the other defensive tackle high on USC's board, six four, three hundred pounds, uh, from Chino, California, was going to come in on an official visit. He'll be here unofficially. It sounds like he's going to wait and take a official visit to USC probably at the UCLA game, maybe even after the season. Um, so that's kind of being held off. Uh, but he'll be at the game. Uh, sounds like Ronald Powell, uh, the big 6'4", 225, uh, defensive end, who's um, definitely, I think, leaning towards Florida at this point, you can say comfortably. He's not saying that publicly, but I think the cat's out of the bag with that one. Um, he's going to be supposedly you know, at the game unofficially. Uh, USC definitely needs to get him back around campus and, and get him you know, around the coaching staff and get more comfortable with things and the way they're done at USC and really kind of get a feel for where he's at with the recruiting process. So he's supposed to be coming in. Um, you know, there'll be a, a few unofficial visits, obviously a lot of the committed guys, um, but official visits really don't start to kick up for USC until later down the line until you get into UCLA week, maybe Arizona, and then after the season. All right, and then last thing. This is kind of an interesting 
story. If you saw in the sporting news, there was an article about Evan Barry. He is the younger brother of the superstar Eric Barry, who's the safety at Tennessee playing for former USC assistant Lane Kiffin. Um, and he wanted, he, apparently, he has pledged to be a part of the Vols class of 2003. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, that makes him a seventh grader. Um, is this like the most ridiculous thing you've ever heard? And this is from Alex uh, out of South Africa. So we know we know he liked the uh, international questions. Thanks for sending that in, Alex. And he had a lot of very complimentary things to say about you, Gerard. So he's he's a big fan of yours from uh, way far away. Awesome. It seems that the farther away people are, the bigger fans they are. <laughs> I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Um, Evan Bay, uh, the most ridiculous thing that I've heard, I think coming from Tennessee over the last few months, it's probably the ranks as the third most ridiculous <laughs> thing I've heard, uh, considering Lane Kiffin and his marketing plans uh, for, for Tennessee. You know, it's kind of that's what it is. It's, you know, a, a thing that grabs headlines and attention towards Tennessee. It's, you know, a kid that, quite frankly, he has no idea what college football is all about or what colleges are all about. He's never seen anything but Tennessee. So, you know, it's like getting married at this point for him. I mean, he, he's really not serious about it. And, and obviously with his brother there and the success his brother's had, I'm sure that's going to play into it down the line. But, you know, he's going to look at other schools and Georgia's going to be there. And there'll be schools nationally that probably recruit him if he's good enough. And I say if he's good enough because we don't know at this point. I mean, he's just getting out of playing Pop Warner High School or Pop Warner football at this point. So, you know, once he gets into high school and uh, we can see what he plays like, um, then we'll start to gauge whether he's a national recruit or not. And that's going to gauge, you know, how much temptation there is for him to look around. So, uh, yeah, it's ridiculous, but it's kind of sort of par for the course with where Tennessee is right now in terms of, uh, you know, making the program visible and, and getting people talking about the program just as we're doing right now. Yeah, and I, we talked about this before on the podcast. Basketball and football are pretty different. Where, like, in seventh grade, from my, the scouts I talked to, they said you could tell, like, LeBron James – was LeBron James, but it's harder in football. Like, could you tell like Brian Urlacher or, you know, a, a Julius Peppers or something, or, you know, when they were in seventh grade, are you going to know that they're going to be some superstar in the NFL? I don't think it's not, it doesn't translate as well. And you have to see how people's bodies develop and stuff. So as a, as a seventh grader, it seems to be really tough to scout for football at least. Yeah. You're just basically hoping that the bloodlines uh, are strong and, and that, uh, you know, he's able to do what his brother did, but, that's in football really, really. That's a that's a gamble, um, you know. And there's not really much of a commitment on both sides because you never know. I mean, will Lane Kiffin even be at Tennessee by the time Evan Berry's graduating from high school? I mean, that's that's a question that yeah. you know you could float out there too. So, you know, it's a, it's kind of a meaningless verbal offer and a meaningless verbal commitment. So, like you said, there's a lot to, that's going to go into you know this kid, uh, how good he is between now and, and when he's, you know, a junior in high school. And, and physically, yeah, there's a lot that you, that you have to do in football that, um, that, that's just to be determined in, until you do it, until you get in the weight room and see how kids progress. And, and injuries are also a bigger part of football than they are basketball, too. And an injury can totally change, you know, what kind of football player you are. You know, you can hurt your knee and, and go from being a guy who's considered a speed guy to a guy that has all, all of a sudden become an intangible type player, a guy that's a, a head player and, and, and really gets to space and plays well because he knows the game. So that, those kind of things are all going to come into play. And, and like I said, it's kind of just a, it's just a headline, just another headline for, for Lane and, and the Tennessee program. And, uh, but you know what? I mean, 
can hate them and and say all kinds of things and be critical of, of what they're doing, but you know they're doing it. I mean, it's obvious, you know, what the what the thought process is there, and and uh, as far as getting the program on the map again and get people talking, that's what Lane's doing. So, you know, it, it is what it is, I guess. All right. Well, thanks, Gerard, for all your uh, recruiting insights, and we'll uh, talk to you again next week. Okay. No problem. Everyone else, don't forget. Thanks for listening, but don't forget Thursday night. National Sports Grill in Torrance, 7.30. You can uh, meet and greet Anthony Davis. He'll be speaking. Shane Foley will be there. UNCFootball.com staff will have prizes, all kinds of good stuff to give away. So we hope to see you then Thursday night, 7.30. Sepulveda Boulevard, National Sports Grill in Torrance. Everyone else, we will talk to you next week. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.